It's Bowie versus Tillian. Is this you and I am Chloe? Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy or a villain. Oh, it's time, time for Bowie versus Dillion. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special mm. episode of Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited about this. I've been waiting for this for 60 episodes. Yeah. It is David Bowie's number one year. I feel like there should be some sweet riffs just rippling in the background. Is this a have it right now? Laying down some tasty licks behind me. That's right, some harp licks. He he and Bowie are back together at long last, ripping it up together in heaven. Uh Just for Uh this episode. That's just for this episode. Uh, I think I refuse to announce what year it was actually going to be, but I'm sure a lot of you figured it out because there aren't very many left. Yeah. Uh, Bowie's best year, 1977. Oh, boy. Oh, baby. Mm. It's my favorite David Bowie year, and it's going to be his biggest by points by quite a long shot, wow. let me tell you. Wow. But, you know, in, a, in a, like TV shows and stuff, and someone's like, hey, do you want the good news first or the bad news? People are always <laughs> yeah. like, give me the bad news. Give me the bad news. The bad news is Dylan in 77. Yeah. We're going to do first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, sharp-eared listeners will, will, will recognize that, you know, we roughly take turns introducing the episode and going first with our guys' years. And yeah. This, you know, roughly. I mean. Roughly. You know. Times being what we they can't, are, we can't be, uh, can't be uh, counted on to actually remember who went last. Who went no, first well, that's last. true. We, we don't a have... lot of the time. So, but you know, whatever. We anyway, you know, we, we just thought we'd have a Bowie party. But then I did all my research on Dylan in '77, and it is so sad. He's such a sad sack. It's such a <laughs> it's such a bad Dylan year. I mean, personally, it might be his worst year ever. Personally, 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 personally. not 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 okay. work wise because he didn't do okay. it. Um, and so I was just like, I don't want to be the the big, I don't want to be the, the the turd in the punch bowl after the party, you know. <laughs> what is that turd doing there? It's a punch bowl. For I know. Crying out loud. Well, you go out to the punch bowl and you see it, and you're like, ah, this party's over. This is terrible. That's what uh-huh. happens. And so I didn't want to be that. I wanted I wanted Charlie to you know do his victory lap like he's been talking about for the last well, fifteen years. Well, I mean, it's might be a good transition because even though Bowie's uh, 1977 was extremely rewarding artistically, yeah. he had kind of a dark year as well. Right. I mean, it's coming into a better place here. It's not, you know, not as bad as 76, but, you know. Well, I wonder what percentage of rock and roll musicians of a certain age had a bad personal year in 1977. Oh, yeah. Like, all well, of them, do you think? <laughs> Punk came rolling in, and they all looked like old fogies. Yeah, and- no, and Rolling Stones were just doing all the drugs by that point, like, all of them. Mm-hmm. Neil Young was on shaky ground. I mean, I'm just thinking about everybody and they all uh i think led zeppelin was doing okay led zeppelin was kicking it but they were partying <laughs> a little too hard probably well <laughs> but it's okay if it goes hey. together with great work anyway let me let me <laughs> let's just... kick things over to dylan who had a rough year but it did not result in you know artistic triumph no artistic triumph whatsoever let me let me do the opposite of regale you with the sad story <laughs> Of Bob Dylan in 1977. (laughs) Chaz, it all starts in 1976. The latter part, um, the last half. If you you recall, he was doing the um, the second half of the Rolling Thunder Review Tour. And the second second half, he did that... uh, through America and uh, and it, this it these, was this without was Mick Ronson gone by this time? Yeah, Mick Ronson was gone. Yeah, yeah. The band kind of tightened up, and it, it wasn't as much fun. It was just yeah. It was it was it was over. The party was over. Yeah. Um, and so um, during during that time, um, Bob was having lots of lots of affairs. Uh, he was married mm-hmm. at the time to Sarah Dillon. Poor Sarah. He's having Poor. what was described as countless. Affairs. I don't know how you no. count them, but it was it was uh-huh. a lot, um, including a woman he had uh, invited into his entourage to teach him how to tightrope walk. 
This was one of the hmm. one of the affairs. That's uh, a promising start to that story, but yeah. that just turns fair. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see Bob Dylan tightrope walking. Oh, absolutely. But I want to see it. I want to see it now, though. Absolutely. Not in the seventies. I want to see it now. Well, apparently he learned a thing or two back then. Maybe he still knows. You know, it's like a, a latent skill that he's, he's like. Well, it's like riding a bike. You know, you never forget how to tightrope walk. Probably. No, probably I, not. I <laughs> I haven't. I don't know about you. <laughs> Um, so Sarah, Sarah got fed up with this. She was on the tour at the time. They had finished recording uh, footage for Ronaldo and Clara. Um, Joan Baez was still was still hanging around, and uh, Sarah left the tour. Uh, Bob and Sarah were also bickering about uh, the specifics of building their fantasy mega mansion in Point Doom, California. So Bob would tell the contractors one thing, and then Sarah would tell them another thing, and they were having all these like terrible fights about their dumb mm. house while Bob was uh, going out around her back or in front of her back or wherever with all these, with all these other women. Uh, the flashpoint for their marriage uh, finally ending, it had been on shaky ground for a while, was that uh, Sarah moved out in February 1977 after finding Bob at the breakfast table with their children, but also with another woman who she'd never met before. Oh, Bob. That is super sleazy, Bob. Just awful. Come on, wow. I know, really bad. And what's even more awful, now this is alleged by Sarah, not independently, you know, corroborated or whatever, but it did become... We should ask Jacob, Dylan. Yeah, let's ask Jacob. No, no, let's not. This is terrible. This is terrible. (laughs) No, that's true. No, this this is terrible. This is childhood trauma. No. This is terrible. I was Um, just kidding. And so so what happened next, it just must be said, you know, we're honest on this podcast, is they had a terrible verbal argument and Sarah alleged that Dylan struck her in the face and Ugh. booted her out of the house in February oh, 1977. Okay, at which point, you're not going to believe this, Sarah was like, let's get a divorce. Bob was like... Sensible choice, Sarah. Yeah, Sensible I, I, think choice. It's, I think it's time to go. Uh, Bob then shacks up with a woman named Faridi McFree, who was a quote... I don't know why this is in quotes, because there's actual professionals with this title... Maybe she was just running around calling herself one. She was a quote art therapist and a nanny to the, <laughs> and a nanny to the kids. So Bob absconds with her during the divorce proceedings to Dylan's farm in Minnesota, and uh, that's where he wrote the majority of um, his next studio album, Street Legal, the uh, exceedingly just okay album that he released <laughs> in 1978. So I, I mean, stop me if I'm getting ahead of things here. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I gotta, so he's like going down this uh, morally shaky path. Oh yeah. And then, like right afterwards, the Christian period starts. So he's like, is he hitting rock bottom? And this is salvation? This is, is that what this, this is how it comes about? You think this is definitely rock bottom? Okay. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, he was really struggling, and and there's more to come here. I'm not. I'm okay. not done with the. With the yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just I mean. No, you're right, though. about this. You're right. Uh, so uh, the divorce definitely got ugly. Um, there was some abuse allegations. Um, there was a custody battle that ensued. Sarah wanted to take all of the kids to, uh, I believe it was Hawaii. And Bob was like, no, I want sole custody of all the kids. You get out of here altogether. Um, she obviously ended up winning custody. Um, and also uh, throughout the process, she ended up, the reported number was that she ended up with 36 million bucks uh, and uh, a share of royalty fees going forward. So I would, oh. I would, you is know, that, not that, it, not is that, that in the current day or how, how long does that I go? Think it's, I think it's forever. So, wow. um, and she is, it, she is like notoriously tight lipped. She's never said a word about any of this. So obviously some of this, huh. some of this stuff is public record um, during sure. the divorce, but she's never written a tell all or, you know, given well, an interview or anything about that. So, and obviously it's good not about her. the money or anything, but it seemed like it worked out, you know, somewhat equitably, equitably mm-hmm. um, between them, at least financially. Okay, so with that out of the way, Bob, uh, uh, he, he breaks up with Faridi McFree because they wouldn't let Bob... Oh, like a made-up name. <laughs> Faridi McFree. Faridi McFree. Hey. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, they wouldn't let Bob Dylan have custody at all of his children if he was sleeping with their nanny and uh, on a farm in Minnesota. That, that's strange. Yeah, I, I don't know. understand. I know, I don't know. Law, get it together. Uh, and during this time, so he goes back to California, and then he starts um, editing 
his uh, su- you know his his purported supposed masterwork, or at least he thought so at the time, Ronaldo and Clara, the movie that he made mm. with the footage from the first half of the Rolling Thunder review. Um, he's with a gentleman named Howard Elk, who was some Hollywood guy of some note. But he was also okay. an incorrigible drug addict who was living on Bob Dylan's mm. property in a guest house. All right. Yeah, and, uh, as one does. And you're not going to believe this, but cocaine may have been a factor in the editing process. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's just a that's just a theory. That's just something. Uh, See, but like when Bowie was on too much cocaine, he made Station to Station. And when Dylan was on too much cocaine, he made Ronaldo and Claire. Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, these are not the same things here. Okay. Like. No. It's true. Um, no, you're right. That's a good point. I don't have any. I don't have any comeback for that. I, I don't yeah. think. I don't think. Uh, yeah. I don't think cocaine was Dylan's drug. I think he was. You know, if he had to, if he had to be uh, super creative on something, I think it would have been uh, like amphetamines or some crazy. Yeah. Uh, some yeah, crazy more, more that type. Yeah. 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 But I mean, Bowie was Bowie clearly cocaine. That was clearly a one. That was his. That was his deal. That was, that was his um, This this also, and this may have been rock bottom. I don't know. You know, there's there's varying there's varying shades of rock bottom. But he was also Dylan. That is, was combing through hours and hours and hours of footage of his now ex wife, who just got divorced from like I don't know thirty seconds ago or whatever. And I just thought that's a little awkward. Yeah, that's how I'd like to describe it. Yeah, <laughs> just it's rocked, weird. Just rocked on cocaine editing. Mountains of footage with your ex-wife, but also you're having a relationship in the movie with Joan Baez. I mean, this is all like, this is just sorted. Messed up, Bob. It's, it's messed, messed up. up. Yeah, yeah, Bob. Hey, come on. This is messed it sounds up. Like, sounds like you need uh, some salvation. Yeah, and on top of all that, Elvis Presley died on yeah. August 16th, and Bob took it really, really, really bad. Um, he was still with this made-up woman, uh, Faridi McFree, the nanny, the art therapist, air quote, nanny. Um, and he may have actually grieved Elvis Presley and may have felt a human emotion during all of this. <laughs> Which is notably the first time. Yeah. Um, and he didn't know Elvis. He had certainly, he had met him at some point. Uh-huh. He wrote a song about maybe meeting him, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole thing about that. But um, he, he told one of his biographers, quote, I broke down after Elvis died, one of the very few times... I went over my whole life. I went over my whole childhood. I didn't talk to anyone for a week. If it wasn't for Elvis and Hank Williams, I couldn't be doing what I do today. End quote. Now, it's a little debatable whether he should have been doing whatever it was he was doing (laughs) in 1977. But still. I got to throw in a little bit of the Elvis thing because I I decided not to include it in the Bowie segment because... I couldn't find out much what Bowie thought about it, but Bowie has a very strong affinity for Elvis because they share a birthday. Oh. And so, like, Bowie growing up, you know, different every year, obviously, but Bowie growing up, like, had something of an affinity for Elvis and saw him live at some point in the 70s. Okay. But he was asked about it in one of the interviews I watched, and Bowie just kind of, like, rolls it over. And I, I thought that was interesting that he does not... Yeah. Speak anything more about it, or it's... I don't know if it was a big deal or not, but... Well, there was, you know, Bob, has, there. Bob has so, mentioned Elvis's influence over the years. He also said at some point he'd rather not meet him because he was such a hero. Mm-hmm. So, like, another hero of his was Little Richard, who somehow just passed away. That guy was almost, like, yeah. 90 years old. I know. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, Hank Williams, all that stuff he used to listen to yeah. on the radio. Okay. And so all of, all of this is to say um, that, that at the end of 1977, Bob was broke very sad, and he frankly looked like crap. Which brings us to the, to the year and fro. Let's do a year and fro here. Uh, this is his longest fro ever. It spills. Ooh. It's kind of like it kind of starts getting long in '76, and then uh, it's it's just outrageous in 1977. And he he keeps it long, but he kind of teases it and frizzes it out for his world tour in 1978. But during '77. Um, I'm going to tell you uh, what no one wants to say out loud, Chaz. It wasn't a fro anymore in 1977. <gasps> yeah, I said it. <laughs> I can't believe it. I won't believe it. <laughs> you should look at a picture. It's so curly. It's so long. It goes, okay. it's very curly and in ringlets, and it goes down to his shoulders, which means it had to have been like, oh. when straightened out, it had to have been down his back by some measure. Oh, man. Look at that right? thing. 
And he looked, and sometimes he looks good. Other times he lets his really bad beard grow out and he looks terrible. I mean, it looks like, it looks like Weird Al Yankovic's hair. Can Absolutely. We just, we just That's Can we just admit it? Even thicker than Weird Al's, maybe. Maybe. I mean, Bob's got some oh, Bob. amazing hair. <laughs> it just it has to be said. Anyway, a couple of those pictures I thought, uh, Bob looks like cocaine feels the morning after. <laughs> Not that I would know. But that's, that's just what I assume. That's just what I, I imagine from reading about David Bowie and Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, it, you know, a couple other things he did during that year. He he did some backup vocals with Leonard Cohen. Um, a lot of people did backup vocals, I guess, at this one recording session of Leonard Cohen's uh, for the album Death of a Ladies Man, which I think is considered somewhat of a classic, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know that one. Anyway, I don't it's, have that one. it's backup vocals on a stupid title for, I'm sure, um, what Leonard Cohen thought was a funny song called Don't Go Home With Your Heart On. <laughs> so <laughs> even Bob's guest appearances were icky, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> we're unpleasant and make yeah, us Yeah, unpleasant. Um, he, did a, he did an interview with Rolling Stone that wasn't published until 1978. Um, and uh, just to kind of finish my story here, um, he called up Neil Diamond's manager. Neil Diamond had this huge world tour, some uh, movie 77 or 76, made just like 100 million bucks or something like that. And Bob's like, hey, I could use some money because <laughs> he didn't have any. And so that's, that was the impetus for him calling Neil Diamond's manager and uh, planning a massive world tour for 1978, which we talked about in a previous episode. This is when he went kind of lounge Vegasy. For one yeah. for one year, he was out there in like white sequins and running around. Uh, he looked Do you like, think that was inspired by the death of Elvis? I mean, this is there's plenty of theories about it, and that's definitely one of them. Uh-huh. People thought he was going to move to Las Vegas and like take residency there and take Elvis's place, kind of spiritually. <laughs> Can you, that was crazy. <laughs> no, that would have been terrible. I wouldn't have liked that, but. Um, also in 1978, it's, I guess, no coincidence. He was miserable, and he's on this world tour, which doesn't fit his style or his whatever, his uh-huh. convictions at all. But he doesn't care. Like, he's just a total, he's a total shell of himself. Uh, like, three, no, two, three, two, three years after being absolutely on top of the world with Blood on the Tracks and Desire and the first leg of the Rolling Thunder. The Rolling, Thunder. yeah, the Rolling Thunder. Yeah, and that's when somebody threw the cross on stage and he found it and uh, went back to his hotel room, found the cross in his pocket, and uh, and found Jesus. This is all, like, leads into the whole redemption thing. It really does. He yeah. needed it. So there you go. And much like much like this podcast, I feel like you need to redeem uh, this narrative that we have going here mm-hmm. of uh, well, here, here comes sad Dick. sack. So all right, set off the fireworks, man. Go for well, it. Well, that yeah, because we got <laughs> there's surprising parallels as there often are. It's surprising parallels between what our guys are doing at the same time. Yeah. So I'm also going back to '76 to start, and '76, '75, '76 are Bowie's worst years. Now '76, he is doing so many drugs. He's living in Los Angeles. He is having these weird like. I don't know, hallucinations or something, and he thinks mm. is it Jimmy Page that he was out to get him? I forget who. He's reading Al, uh, Crowley. Yeah. Mr. Crowley. And yeah, you haven't talked about the dark magic side of Bowie ever. Well, he didn't get I mean, it was just like that one year he was reading. He wasn't doing it. He was oh, reading okay. about okay. like he didn't get he into it that stuff. much. Yeah, there, yeah, there's some Kabbalah stuff there. He's getting into Nazi imagery. Uh, he yeah. gets busted with the Nazi paraphernalia. <laughs> like this, you know, it's really some unpleasant stuff in '76 on okay. that tour thing. Uh, and he's yeah, the thin white Duke character from '76 is that's all. It's all bad. It's just bad. And so after that tour, he's actually like starts taking some proactive steps to uh, to heal. And so like this is you know this is the morning after '77 is the morning after. So. Um, he does this with Iggy Pop, of all people. I mean, we talked about the, the weird connection between those two, that they just were, like, really good friends. And they really, like, the two of them really needed this. Iggy Pop was, you know, nobody at the time. The Stooges had imploded years before. You know, it was 73, it was in Raw Power. Their last album came out. Um, and so Iggy Pop is, like, you know, he lived on the streets of Los Angeles for a Ooh. few years before he finally uh, got put, like, forced into rehab by police. And, uh oh, no. I know, like, the guy is, you know, like, a lot of stuff happened to him. And then he ends up joining the entourage for Bowie's 76 tour for Station to Station. And the two of them kind of reconnect and end up being good friends. And they, uh, 
they decide to get out of Los Angeles and clean up together, work on this together. So they moved to Europe, um, most famously to Berlin. But I can't, like, I was listening to a lot of, I was listening to a lot of interviews. I did absolutely everything I could find for 77th. Um, and so Bowie, like, it's unclear what he's doing. Like, the, the classic narrative says he just lives in Berlin for two years in this but it's not true. Like he's doing some recording in Switzerland, some in France. He's doing guest appearances in different places. Um, he he says in interviews that he was visiting Africa and visiting Japan. I don't know what all he's doing, but <laughs> his main base seems to be in Berlin, um, West Berlin, we should say at the time. Yeah. And uh, but he's really just being anonymous, like, and it, that's one of the reasons he he likes the city, as he says that it's you know nobody cares who he is in Berlin yeah. and the people are, you know, they are in West Berlin in the seventies. Like it's such a rough place to be. He's, they've just got bigger things to worry about. It all feels real. And he, you know, he ditches all these, he stops wearing you know, all these costumes. He, he stops the, the different characters. I, I see this as almost like an early attempt at the day of vacation, Jake. Oh yeah. <laughs> like that, let's stop for anonymity. He, he goes for it. Yeah, he was practicing. And he ends up coming off of, you know, coming off of this more anonymous period right into let's dance and becomes his biggest, you know, yeah, best known period ever. But he he like for a few years after this, like really calms things down a little bit and yeah. just be more of a quiet person. And him and Iggy Pop are hanging out. Iggy Pop apparently would walk four or five hours a day, wow. like around around Berlin. And I don't know the two of them were really good for each other. Is that why he got so tan? Probably. And started taking Probably, his, started yeah. taking his shirt off because he was hot. <laughs> from all the no, his shirt was off from at least the early seventies. If I guess not, that's true. I guess 1969, when the first uh, Stooges album came out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, late 76, uh, Bowie and Iggy Pop start making music together. They write one song on tour together, and then they end up doing more. And um, Bowie takes on this... We talked about this a little bit, I think, in 86. As Bowie takes on... He, he does more... He, he takes on this role in Iggy Pop's next two albums. That is bigger and more robust and more important than any other... Like, anyone else's, any outside artist's albums ever and those albums are the idiot and lust for life idiots recorded first um bowie like he produces it he co-writes it he performs on it he does backing vocals mm-hmm. um like the two of them make like it the idiot probably could have been called you know bowie and pop like they could sure. have both had their names in the title if they wanted to um iggy pop writes almost all the lyrics and he is the main vocalist but like you know pop's nobody at the time um, so Bowie takes him on and kind of takes him under his wing and they put together this album, which ends up being really great. You know, Idiot is a classic album. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about that in points. But uh, it ended up giving a little more attention. So they do this together and they're loving it and they're doing all kinds of weird stuff the way that they're, you know, putting together, doing some um, really kind of avant-garde ways of putting this stuff together. E-pop writes lyrics and does everything really, really quickly. And uh, they end up influencing each other a lot. So Bowie follows this up, this is still late 76, by recording his next album, Low. Low. Uh, low, which is totally true. He's, he's low. Yeah, he's he's like, He's depressed, he's down, he's working through some stuff, but using it to make uh, what many people, myself included, consider to be Bowie's greatest album. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> it's a nuts album. It was very avant-garde at the time. Bowie was listening to a lot of Kraftwerk and Tangerine Dream and Brian Eno, um, who Brian Eno ends up being brought in to work on the album. Um, the first side is all short, jagged pop songs. There's not a lot of lyrics to it. There's a lot of repetitive stuff. Um, they're very short. There's a lot to it. The second side is long, instrumental, ambient-esque songs. Um, lots of synthesizers, lots of new sounds. Um, the drum sound in particular is really famous off of Low because mm. they use some crazy, you know, studio trickery to make it work. Sure. Uh, Eno's involved and is bringing in like his deck of, he's got these deck of cards to have people like think about things in different ways. Yeah. Oh, Eno. That's so Eno. I know, I know, you know. Oh, I love Eno. I love him so much. But, uh, but that's the way, you know, worked is he tried to get as many crazy out there ideas as possible and then he culled them down to the best ones. Like, he, you know, not everything worked and he knew that going into it that not everything was going to work. But he picked the best ones and put them all together in different ways. Um, Bowie keeps it super quiet. His record label doesn't like this and his uh, former oh. manager tries to get it into, tries to, make, tries to make sure it doesn't get released at all. Like, they don't want it. They what? think it's just going to hang. Um, it's not commercial in the slightest. They just wanted to make, you know, another Young Americans or Station to Station. Sure, so that was really well. Um, but it comes out and it does quite well. In the UK, it hits, I don't know, 
top 10, number four or something, number three, um, ends up going gold without him. He does nothing. He doesn't promote it in yeah. any way. Yeah. No tour. He doesn't do any TV appearances. I don't think he does any interviews or anything in magazines. Like, he does, like, nothing. Um, there's a purposeful, purposeful joke on the cover. The album's called Low, and it says Low. And then it's a picture of him in profile. It's an image from uh, Man of Soul, the World. Apparently, the low profile joke was on purpose. Oh. Right on somewhere there. I know, oh, I know. Oh, I never got that. You, you oh. funny, even when you're depressed. Oh, oh. very clever. Um... So yeah, that came out in January of 77. Interestingly, uh, even though The Idiot was recorded first, Low came out first, okay. and Idiot came out in March. Um, I've read different reasons for this. It seems like maybe Bowie just didn't want people to think that he was like chasing Iggy Pop. Okay. Like he wanted the credit for staking out this new territory, which feels, I don't know, kind of jerky a little bit. Yeah. But well. also, also, people say like The Idiot is much more Bowie's album than it is pops album lust for life is the other way around um but this comes out and they're both of these albums are you know none of them are gigantic runaway crazy successes but they're both successful they both sell number of copies iggy pop kind of gets his feet on the ground this is the start of his real solo career right and this sure. is it, it, it's, this is, is his first solo album um and it, it creates it makes you know gives them some cred too they're both uh, both uh David Bowie and Iggy Pop are mentioned in the, a Kraftwerk song from 77. Oh, okay. Well, the album Trans-Europe Express, it's the song Trans-Europe Express. Uh, they're both mentioned along with Station to Station. So, Kraftwerk was listening right back to them. Uh-huh. Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk was paying attention to them. There you go. They were paying attention to each other. To each other. And they're all listening so, to this podcast right now. That's Hi, right, guys. Right now. Including the ones who are dead, which yep. is many of them. Yeah. Sorry. 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 <laughs> so like I said, Bowie does nothing to promote Low, but he does do stuff to promote the idiot. Like, I don't know, going on tour with Iggy Pop as his uh piano player. Okay. There's another like unique that, thing. Bowie yeah. never did this before or after. Yeah. So Iggy yeah. Pop goes on about a six week tour. Bowie goes as his keyboards, playing keyboards and doing backing vocals. Wow. That's it. Like, he's not singing any of his own songs. Right. He's, there's no Bowie songs in he's the set. He's sitting there. He's sitting there. He's playing. He's smoking a bazillion cigarettes. Yeah. So many cigarettes. Yeah. And uh, and just, like, he describes in his interviews as he just had a blast, like, being, again, oh, sure low profile. About just being on the side and not having all this pressure on him all the time. Um, when Iggy Pop is doing interviews and stuff, Bowie's like, nope, I'm, I'm good. Nope. Interview him. I'm just a member of the band. Um. So it's different. That's it's just awesome. a different, like, Bowie is getting back to to himself. He's, like, finding himself again or, like, calming himself down. And so it's good. It's, it's a whole, like, healing process that's happened throughout 77. Uh, one notable thing is the, uh, towards the end of the tour, Iggy Pop goes on the Dinah Shore show. <laughs> okay. And we've talked about the Dinah Shore show because Bowie did it in 76. All right. And it's just surreal because he's so out of it. And he's on there with a very young Henry Winkler. Okay. Of course, it's the Fonz. Of course. And, like, Henry Winkler's, like, just young and flush with his first fame. Hey. And, like, showing off the first Fonz t-shirt, he unveils it on the show. Oh, and wow. Bowie's sitting there, like, he looks like he's from a different planet. Like, he does not understand what humans are. <laughs> like, like, they're just sitting there studying humans to try to understand what they what they look like, how they work, and what, you know, what they are. It's really interesting. Um, this is a very different one. So, Iggy Pop goes on. The Dinah Shore was a biggest singer in the 40s? Yeah. 40s. She's in her early 50s at this point. But yeah, she was a very famous singer. Tina show. Tina Shore show, yeah. Crazy. And so it's, it's it's really interesting. So they go on, they play two songs in the whole, you know, the whole band. And then Bowie is actually part of the interview on this one. Um, and then Iggy Pop is just entertaining because he's, you know, we have this picture of Iggy Pop as being this crazy wild man with his shirt off all the time, you know, yeah. cutting himself up with bottles and everything. He always and, like, looked, rolling old, around he always looked glass. old and crazy at the same time. Oh, exactly, exactly. But in this interview, and in a lot of interviews, he's very quiet, and he's mm. very articulate and intelligent, mm-hmm. which is, it's one of, I mean, he named, the, he named the, the album The Idiot after the uh, the book by Dostoevsky. Um, oh, yeah. Like, because he, he's well-read and everything, he's very intelligent. Because he can read? He doesn't come across that way. <laughs> he can read. Iggy Pop can read. I love the uh, picture. I, really, love the, I love the cover photo of The Idiot. It just cracks me up every time I oh, see yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's based on a, uh, I didn't write down the artist. It's based on a painting by an artist. Oh, and okay. The, the hero's cover is based on the same piece, actually, but oh. I'm taking it a different way. 
Anyway, so Pop is quiet and articulate and talking about all this stuff. And then Dinah Shore, who's in her 50s at the time, she clearly doesn't know quite what to think about these two guys who are good friends and like, you know, they're making jokes and stuff all the tweet. But she's like, she's not like this shocked old lady who, you know, is clutching her pearls or something. So instead she comes across as this very like motherly caring person as she's asking him about, you know, like breaking bottles on his chest. And, <laughs> and his response is really like, it's more heartbreaking. You know, you think of this crazy stuff. But he's talking about like, you know, I just, I was at a time then, you know, I was feeling really, really angry and I really wanted to hurt other people and be violent to other people. But I thought, you know, that's not okay. That's, so I thought the stuff that I wanted to do to other people, I did just to myself instead. Oh my like goodness. the audience laughs at this, but you're sitting there going like, Ugh. Oh, whoa. You, you need a hug? Can I, I give know. you a hug? Can you pop? Have you been to counseling? You know well, that. he had by that time. Oh, Again, he cleaned oh, up and everything and gone through a lot of this stuff and he had to, you know, was a little more under control. He's yeah. still wild on stage, but he's not you harming himself and things <laughs> and you could just like that is short just like yeah you just gotta take care of like she just was so sweet and so oh. caring i really i really enjoyed it i really oh, loved it. it was it was a really entertaining interview i loved it oh great um my last part in this is i i really enjoyed uh the second song they played was is uh, sister midnight which is the first track on the idiot and um clearly iggy pop had to censor some of the lyrics <laughs> it was really entertaining of a share I'm sure what he censored. Great. So the original lyrics for this are, Calling Sister Midnight, I had a dream last night. Mother was in my bed, and I made love to her. Oh, boy. It goes on. She's, like, talking about father. You know, it's all a dream and very edible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he changed it, and Bowie just about lost it. He could not keep himself together on this. It was changed clearly at, you know, TV censors' demands to, Calling Sister Midnight, I had a dream last night. Potatoes were in my bed, and I made love to them. <laughs> Potatoes? Who thought about that? I don't know. You know, they also... But David Bowie's, like, falling off his stool. He can't, he can't keep it together. That He's, definitely, like, audibly laughing into the microphone. <laughs> that definitely suggests that, like, they went through some other food things or some other things, but those also sounded sexual. So, like, they were probably like, peaches? <laughs> no, 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 we can't do peaches. Eggplant. Eggplant, no, absolutely. Cucumber. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> potatoes are pretty asexual. Let's go with potatoes. See, I, I, I had a different picture in my head. I the censor saying... Okay, you know, we got to get rid of this part. Um, can you change it to something else? What if we change it to this? And he's like, no. Uh, well, Jay, we don't, I don't care what you change it. Change it to whatever you want, Joe. And it's like, I'm going to change it to potatoes. <laughs> potatoes. Maybe and that's probably why. probably was there and started laughing. He's like, yep. Maybe he sprung it on him or it was supposed to be something else, but Iggy changed it at the last second. Maybe he changed it, yeah, maybe he changed it at the last to something second. Something really dumb and that's Again, what made just, Bowie just laugh. to make David Bowie laugh, which was Aww, successful. They're such buddies. <laughs> also notably, in this uh, tour and then in in the show, uh, Iggy Pop's band, his uh, drummer and bass player are Hunt Sales and Tony Sales. Yes. Um, who more, would more notably be members of Tin Machine. Yeah, we know that. Later on, along with Bowie. Uh-huh. But uh, their father is the comedian Subi Sales. Right. You've mentioned Which Iggy Pop tells Dennis Shore on stage, and she, you know, thinks he's joking. And, and she's like, she asks, she asks them, like, what, is, what does he think about your, your music? <laughs> like, uh, he, he likes it. <laughs> he's a proud dad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I really loved the dinosaur show. That was apparently they great. 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 All right, Jake, we're like halfway done with the year. Okay, you're, you're doing good. Rolling here. Yeah, you're rolling. rolling. I love it. These are one of those we've talked about these years where there's so much important stuff happens yeah. that you just gotta just gotta fly. Well, part of you wants to just like scream and yell and like do a bunch of superlatives and yeah. try to really get across how great it all was, but. The, the, you're, you're playing it right here. You're playing it right. Okay, good. You just, you just yeah. gotta, you gotta get little, the info out there. You know the people. Take a little sip of beer here. People and keep wanna, yeah, yeah. Take a, take a little breath. We need like a little. Uh, we need like a little uh, transition music, like <laughs> like some dinosaur <laughs> song, maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We're back. We're back. We're back. Oh, yeah. Thanks everyone for sticking around. Second half of the year. <laughs> so Bowie and Pop and the Sales Brothers and I don't think they're guitarists. I think he's a different guitarist. Can't remember. Uh, come right off of tour to record, oh, I don't know, Lost for Life. Mm. Another classic album. Our third of four completely classic, amazing albums. That came out in 1977. All came out in 77. that's crazy. So Lost for Life, you know, The Idiot is was also a collaboration, E-Pop and Bowie, but that's much more of a Bowie album. 
Okay. Um, and they both admitted that in interviews later on that Bowie was, I think Bowie has said, you know, I probably was a little too involved in that album. Um, so Lust for Life is definitely Iggy Pop taking the reins. Right. Bowie's still very involved. He's still a co-producer. He's still playing multiple instruments on that. He co-writes almost all the songs, though notably not all of the songs. He doesn't write all the songs, unlike the idiot where he gets a co-writing credit on all of them. So Iggy Pop, uh, is, he does backing vocals. He does all kinds of stuff. Iggy Pop is finally flying, but Bowie's still the wind beneath his wings. Exactly, Jake. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. Those yeah. were the exact words that I think of when I think of David Bowie and Iggy Pop in 1977. Just, just propping him up, and letting, and letting him soar finally, <laughs> and letting him soar. Yeah. So Lust for Life, definitely more rock oriented. Uh, because there were a lot of people saying that you know Iggy Pop had sold out or some not sold out exactly, but you know that that Bowie was too influential because it, it sounded so much different than anything he had done right. before. Right. Um, this is much more rock based. I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs. Lust for Life. Yeah, well, that riff was Bowie. Bowie, Bowie wrote that riff. <laughs> well, whoever lust the drummer, whoever the drum, lust for life. whoever the drummer is, that's the real star of that song. Hunt sales. Hunt later. Later, Hood. Tim Machine. That's right. Uh, he didn't do as good in Tim Machine. I no, he did not. That's true. He <laughs> he was. He had one good idea. Uh, not even not even really like debatably, but pretty much everyone agrees he was the worst member of Tim Machine. He oh, really, is that right? He brought them down. You know, some well, some he, unfortunate he spent, pass. He, he spent all of he wrote creative. and sang on the two worst songs that Tim Machine ever recorded. Well, he spent like, all number his, one worst and number two worst. He spent all of his creative power on that one drum riff. That, that, thing's, one that thing's incre it's incredible. Oh, yeah. Such a great drum <laughs> beat. All right, so after this, they just do Lust for Life. That gets recorded. Um, and then Bowie goes straight in to record, oh, I don't know, Heroes. What? The album Heroes. <laughs> because why not? Blah. Why not just do that right afterwards? Jeez. So, I, I notably, Iggy Pop, you know, Bowie is heavily involved in the recording of Iggy Pop's albums. Iggy Pop is not involved in the recording of Bowie's albums. He's okay. not even like, I mean, Iggy Pop is not like a virtuoso musician or anything. You know, he doesn't, I want to say he started as a drummer. I'm pretty sure I read yeah, that Yeah, that sounds right. I think he plays a little guitar, but he's not, you know, usually on stage, he's just, he just sings and, you know, rides around and does crazy stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know what he would have even done, but, you know. I don't know if he maybe has some backing vocals on one of those. He might. It's possible. So Bowie goes in to record his own second album for the year, um, Heroes. Eno comes back in. Eno's more involved in this one than he was in the previous one. Um, Eno is frequently mentioned as being producer of Low and Heroes, but he's not. Oh. This is, in, this is inaccurate. A lot of people say that, that Eno produced the Berlin Trilogy of Low Heroes and 1979's uh, Lodger. But he didn't. Eno plays on them and is involved in them and co-writes different songs, but he uh, he did not produce Tony Visconti. Our old pal Tony Visconti. Oh, Visconti produced, back. Produced all three of them. Yeah, Visconti's yeah. back. Yeah, he's back with Low for his first time in a couple albums. Um, so Heroes is another amazing album. Um, Low was not really appreciated. It got really weirdly mixed reviews. People did not know what the heck to think of it. Okay. Heroes, on the other hand, like a lot of people loved right away. And I don't okay. know if it's just it took, you know, crit critics and stuff to catch up a little bit. They digested low and realized how good it was. Heroes is a little more immediate. It's more rock-based. Um, they brought in Robert Fripp, a yeah, King Crimson. definitely. He, he lays down some tasty licks oh, all yeah. over that thing. He's a king of the tasty lick. Yeah, um, the story I read was that he apparently got off the plane and went straight to, because they flew him into Berlin where they were, they were recording that one. And he got off the plane and drove straight to the studio where he listened to their backing tracks and like laid down these sweet guitar solos in and just guitars all over the place on like first or second or third listen. Like he only listened to every song like three times. He recorded for six hours and then left and got right back on the plane and went back. <laughs> He's just like a mercenary. He's just in and out. Comes in for a <laughs> And he like, as he's getting on the plane, someone hands him an envelope full of cash. He's like, thank you. Uh -huh. See you next time. Well, that was it. That was his entire involvement with the, the album was that one session. And his wow. guitars are all over the place. What a badass. But yeah, it's like, you know, setting up all kinds of different situations and they're cut out and you know, they used his solos, sometimes not in the place that he recorded sure, them. Sure, and sure, all, sure. Yeah. All kinds of crazy stuff with it. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, it was, it's kind of awesome. So... We got heroes down. We're getting getting close to the end here, Jake. Okay, I'm here. Just listen, I know. Take 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 another breath. So 
Iggy Pop goes off for another tour on this time on the back of Lust for Life. Bowie chooses not to join that one because he chooses to actually promote heroes in some way. Nice. Way to go. Uh, he does not promote heroes by going on tour. Oh. He doesn't tour at all. He tours in 78 for low-end heroes, basically. Um, but instead goes on, does a bunch of different interviews in different countries. There's several in France and Italy and Holland. I, I watched every single interview that I'm aware of that he did. Like, I found all of them. Every I really, single I really one. dug. I did. I watched all of these interviews. Okay. Um, the interviews are so different than the ones he did in 75 and 76. He's just like, he's... I mean, Bowie's an intelligent guy. But he comes across as intelligent. He's focused and he's articulate and he's not, he was so spaced out in 75, 76 where he barely knew what was going on. And in these, he's like, he's just so smart and he just, you could tell that he's just in a good place. He's like, by this time too, you know, this late in the year, he's in a comfortable place in his life. He like feels good about the decisions he's making for the first time in a while. He has been able to like work through a lot of stuff, obviously. Yeah. Um, and he's just doing all right. Like, and he just, it's, he's nice to watch. Like, again, not like 75, 76. Yeah. Like he could have, he could have, he, he could have died then or something. I mean, I honestly, I didn't mention that. Like right. it's. That would have been the, the yeah, hor- one of yeah, those horrible, have, and he, horrible and he Jimi been, Hendrix type stories or something. Right. Or, right. Yeah. And so many different rock stars, you know, Jim Morrison, like all those type totally. of people. That could have, that could have easily been him in 75, 76. And he yeah. still would have been this, you know, so it would have been this hot talent that, you know, everyone remembers as, hey, you remember, you know, Bowie, but without all the stuff he did afterwards, you know. Sure. Um, so he sticks, he mostly is promoting heroes. Um, on some of the European dates, he's all, or some European interviews, he's also promoting uh, his movie, The Man Who Fell to Earth, yeah, which came out in 76, but it was released in different countries. France in particular came out in 77. And so he's doing some promotion for that movie also. Um, he does lots of interviews and does several live performances on the show. It's not like, but he pretty much only ever plays heroes. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, this, with two, like one and a half exceptions, all he ever plays is heroes. So, was that song like preordained as the hit or did it? It work? wasn't a hit though at the time. But like that became such a legendary song. It in became his such a legendary song. So why but was he it was only not, playing that one? It was not a hit. Well, it was the first single off of the, the album. The first single, okay, okay. So that was presumably why, but it yeah. was not a hit. Well, it didn't really go anywhere. He, he the album seemed, did well. Same thing with Sound, Sound and Vision is on low. Yeah. And that song didn't wasn't a hit either. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's one of his greatest. The album hits. was the album did, you know, the albums did well, but um so anyway, Bowie does a bunch of different shows, interviews. Uh, a couple notable shows. The first one is The Mark Show. The Mark Show. Uh, which is, the Mark in question is our old pal, Mark Bolin. Mark Bolin! Mark Bolin the of Mark the show. glam rock pioneer, Mark Bolin yes, of T-Rex. Eventual sad story himself. Well, Mark let's Bolin. get into that, Jake, because okay. Bowie uh, records a couple clips for, The Mark Show is just, it's all music. So it's all different musical performances. Got he it. does some of them, but he brings in different people. So Bowie comes on. Plays heroes. As one does. <laughs> hey, hey, come on! And then they, uh, at the very end of the show, they had written this. The two of them, Bowie and Bolin, had written this new song to play together. And they get like, I don't know, forty-five seconds into it, and Bolin falls off the stage. Oh no! <laughs> no, he's fine. It was just—it's funny. It's uh, they, they included it in the show. Okay. But they didn't find they didn't have time to uh, to re-record it, so it's on there. <laughs> At the very end, it's it's the credits. It's okay, so he just slips and falls off the stage. He's he not like, stage. he's not yeah, no. or anything. Or maybe no, 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 no. It's not like he doesn't get horribly hurt or anything. Okay. But we just laughing at, standing there laughing at him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um. So that those two. So that's our half a track right there. Is the song that they start playing and then don't get to finish. Um. So this is September. I don't know something other. Uh, Mark Bolin tragically dies in a car accident a week and a half after they filmed oh, this in '77. In 77, before oh. the show even airs, before oh, the episode wow. with Bowie. Because this is the last, it was always intended to be the last episode of that season anyway. Um, but it's the last show. And yeah, he Dang. died in a car accident, complete freak accident. You know, nothing, no, yeah, nothing, nothing drugs, nothing going on. You know, it was just a car accident. Oh, that's horrible. Nothing. Yeah. He wasn't even driving. So, it's kind of sad. <laughs> Bowie uh, famously, uh, or maybe not famously, he did it quietly. Um, Gave a whole bunch of money to Bolin's, not, it's not his widow. It was his, you know, lady, but they were not right. married. His girlfriend. And so she, his girlfriend 
Yeah, girlfriend widow, yes. Who is I not... Know. I don't know what the... There's probably a term for that. I don't... I don't there, know. Sure there is. Who um, was not really entitled to anything right. by the will because she wasn't... They weren't actually married. Uh, but they also had a son. And so Bowie gave a bunch of money to... Uh, towards the, the son's education. Oh, that's nice. I know. I know. He was real quiet about it, too. That's good. Sweet. So then, a, just a couple weeks later, Bowie plays... One of his most infamous shows of all time, Jay, because this is 77. And even after all the crazy, Jeez. different, yeah, you know where this is going, don't you? Uh, crazy avant-garde choices he makes all year long. He still makes time to record parts for Bing Crosby's Merry Old Christmas. <laughs> And you know that old has an E at the end, Jake. You know it does. <laughs> oh, Mary old. And Mary is spelled E-I, <laughs> not Y. Of course. Merry old Christmas. Merry old Christmas. So this is a total surreal event. This, yeah. We talked uh, about this in 80. It, it was released as a single in 82. And we talked about it at length then because I knew I wouldn't have time in 77. Um so if you want to know more about it, watch or listen yeah, to the, yeah. uh, we the go 82 over episode. Detail. I'm just wondering if but it's I'm just wondering if basics, it's on one of uh, if this was on one of Eno's fifty two cards, like play a Christmas <laughs> show with Bing Crosby. And, <laughs> and Bowie drew that one and he's oh no, I've got oh, to do man. it now. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so yeah, he sings, does this really cringeworthy really, uh, dialogue really. with Bing Crosby. And then they sing a solid, decent, you know, now Christmas classic. Uh, yeah. Little Drummer Boy slash Peace on Earth. Everything's a Christmas classic, but... Everything's yes. a Christmas. Every Christmas song ever recorded on Christmas. It's true. Song. It's a solid song, though. We were no, it's, it's fine. It's the just dialogue is horrible. So it's ridiculous. Weird. It's so weird. It's so bad it's good, honestly. It's the best. Uh, but we apparently did not like Little Drummer Boy, which is why they wrote Peace on Earth was written as a counterpoint, like, in an hour the day yeah. that they needed to record it. <laughs> because Bowie's like, uh, is there something else I could sing? I hate this song. And Bing Crosby's like, I'm going to kill you with my cane right now. I'm just going to beat you to death with something. No, he had he had nothing but nice things to say. I heard a, nice. a, little, a little clip about it. He t- described him as uh, being a nice, clean, cut young man. <laughs> well, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, also, notably, so, um, so Bowie did that song with Bing Crosby. Bowie does, lesser known though, Bowie does another song in the special. Oh. It's Heroes. We can be Christmas <laughs> heroes. He plays Heroes on the Christmas, on the merry old Christmas we special. We can be yep. heroes he for does. Christmas Day. I haven't watched the whole special, so I don't know how they try to shoehorn this in, in at all. Oh my the clip gosh. I watched just had Bing Crosby talking to some woman about something about being brave, and then it goes to Bowie doing Heroes. Oh my god! Bowie I'm... does a weird like mime routine at one point in the in like <laughs> behind himself because there's like close-up footage of him singing, and there's him in the background doing a mime routine. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what it has to do with Merry Old Christmases, but. <laughs> It was a pretty good recording of the song. It was it was completely rare. Like, oh it was a gosh. you know a live recording of their new recording of the song. I so. had no idea. That's amazing. I know. I know. Now it's a Christmas so, classic. You know, I mean, it's a it's, it was a Christmas miracle. It Jake, is what Christmas it was. Miracle. But you know, it was not a Christmas miracle. <laughs> what? The fact that just like Mark Bolin, Bing Crosby died before the show even aired. Oh my gosh! What? I know. This is back to back for Bowie. This is recorded like a week apart. Wow, did he visit... Big Crosby, I don't know what Big Crosby died of. I mean, he was quite old at the time, so... Did he visit Elvis two hours before he died on the toilet, too, or <laughs> as far what? As, I, as, far <laughs> as, far as I, They recorded a toilet special immediately before. <laughs> a sad sack toilet special. <laughs> Bob Dylan, so, was, Bob Dylan was there, too. Surreal events in Bowie's career. <laughs> and speaking of one last surreal event in Bowie's career, Bowie finishes up the year by recording vocals for... Peter and the Wolf. Ah, uh, the classic, the classic in our family. Peter and classic the Wolf. Classic in our family. Yes, yeah. we did have this when we were kids. We had it on tape. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have it on tape. I have it on vinyl and CD. CD <laughs> I did get from my old pal Jacob Back. Boom, 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 boom. That's me. Boom. Christmas one year. Hey, along with a, along with a uh, vinyl seven inch of. <laughs> of a little, little drummer, little drummer boy. boy piece of red. It's red too. Oh, it's so cool. It's a good one. That was one of the best gifts. That was before vinyl became cool again, and you could just it's find true. things in stores. I read about it somewhere. Apparently, that's a limited edition of only 2,000 chicks. Is so that I got right? one of those. Apparently. That I don't know. I'm sure it's not now. worth anything anyway, but oh, well, <laughs> I've I'll, got it, baby. I'll, I'll have that back, please. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think so, <laughs> All right, one last little note before the year in hair. 
Um, one big thing that was supposed to happen in the year and never did, it was that Bowie was supposed to star in a movie. He was oh. supposed to, they were supposed to record a movie that year hmm. about the um, German expressionist artist Egon Schiel, um, who was really, his artwork is really cool, but it can be very, it's very provocative. There's, there's lots of nudes and some, you know. I mean, some, not, some things that happen. Some not, things that happen when people are nude sometimes. Not, not that you've looked closely, <laughs> but you, you've heard. <laughs> uh, um, so Bowie had signed on to play. He was going to play the painter. This would have been his second major acting role after *The Man Fell to Earth*. Yeah. Um, he's really excited. He talks about it multiple times in interviews. How he's really excited about it. He really likes the artist, and he's getting into the role. And I couldn't figure out why, but the film never actually happens. It didn't actually record. It didn't. They didn't do it. So I don't know what. Hmm. What happened there? He was supposed to. He was in one of the interviews. He talks about like he's going to do this, and then next after that, like he's, it was in, he was in the middle of recording uh, Heroes at the time. So he talks about he's got to finish up this album, and then after that, he's going to wherever to to film this movie. So it was that close to happening. Wow! And I uh, didn't. So and, uh, and there's no could have been interesting. No recorded reason, we think. No, I'm not that I could find, but you know, I'm sure it's out there. All right. Anyway, all right. You're in here. So Bowie goes Normcore in '77. Yes. After like, all the extravagant different things he does, he's almost always in a button-down shirt that's, like, unbuttoned a few too many buttons. Oh, yeah. Um, he's wearing jeans a lot, rolled up, um, like, worker boots most of the time. Strangely, he's wearing, like, really long, like, knit socks a lot of the time. They go over his pants. That part Over the pants? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. like, a bomber jacket. So I don't, I, the socks wow. are the only thing that really felt extravagant, you know, that really felt uh, out of control. Um, and up top, he's rocking a um, like the lazy man's mullet, where no, it's like yeah. you know just you're growing it out and it's getting long and back. But it didn't, I don't think it's a true mullet. I think that it's, yeah, it's getting long and back. Yeah, it's just like a, a ducktail kind of a thing going on. More of yeah, a little more of a ducktail thing. But it's just you know, just a little. It looks like he didn't you know work on it too hard. Like he's just, I just, just chilling. Yeah, just chilling, just being relaxed, great. just being Ex- really man on the street. In except Berlin. for those wildly extravagant socks. I mean. Well, that was confusing. Again, like, I saw one of the clips, one of the many times he recorded Heroes for a TV show. And they start with him, you know, like, just his face, and he's wearing a button-down shirt, and he's wearing his bomber jacket. Sure he is. And, uh, and then I go out, and I can't, I'm like, cannot tell what on earth he's wearing on his bottom half, because, you know, <laughs> it's, like, dark on the top of his legs and light on the bottom, and then boots. You can tell the boots. And then they got closer at one point. And, yeah, it was, like, big, tall, like, I'm picturing some guy in Lederhosen, you know, like, those tall socks. They sure. look like that. I don't know what was going on there. No, I mean, I don't he, know what that was all about. That's the uh, that's the German expressionist style that he was into after <laughs> it being clearly in Berlin. Isn't. It's clearly not. <laughs> no, I know a lot about German expressionist sock uh, uh, fashion, and it's definitely an homage. You did you did write that uh, seven hundred page book about? I did. It was my master's expressionist socks. It was my ma- It was my master's PhD. dissertation, <laughs> and now I have a master's in German expressionist sock fashion. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Incredibly so useful. Proud, proud the, to know you. Proud to know you, Jake. <laughs> incredibly useful in the workforce, especially these days. Especially the offers are flying left and right. <laughs> All right, Jake. Let's yeah. point her up. All right. Oh, so what did you give the year in hair? You didn't give it a point. Oh, I'm sorry. Come on. I forgot. Oh my god. Oh, shams. Um, we're gonna give it a three yeah i like it i like it yeah, i would have gone 3.25 but it's your it's your show it's fine yeah you know yeah. it's fine all right well if we're gonna do some points let me just check my notes here well it says here unless unless you get points for uh your life cratering and you um, <laughs> hitting clearly rock bottom um uh-huh. for now and for the rest of your life uh i got zero points he did literally Nothing oh. artistic. He, oh, he sang, Dylan. He sang back up with a bunch of other people on a um, uncouth Leonard Cohen song, mm-hmm. and and that was no points that for that. Honestly, that was honestly it. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you, so you can talk for another twenty to twenty-five <laughs> minutes. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, pew, pew, pew. boom, boom for you, boom. boom for you. Hey, let's start with uh, January when Low came out. Okay. Like I said, Low is considered by many people, myself included, to be Bowie's very best album. It's way out there. It's very avant-garde, especially for the time. Um, it's a deep, dark album. Yeah. Bowie's clearly working through a lot of stuff, and I got to assume that this helped him. Um, I read, I listened to this interview. It was 
It was different clips of Bowie talking about Eno and then Eno talking about Bowie, both from 77. It was great. Um, and they're talking about how they came up with some of the stuff and how they were like pushing each other and different things. And this, he was trying to make this album very European sounding, and so they really wanted to avoid standard like verse chorus, verse structures. Um, Eno talks about the songs like intentionally being, you know, not having a clear start or end. A lot of them fade in and fade out. Like mm-hmm. there's this, this idea of this kind of elliptical, you know, it's just, it's just going in the background. It just happens. Yep, yeah. it happens. Um, but it's an amazing album. It's really it's triumph. Uh, I consider it, yeah, to be his best album. I'm giving that one a perfect five. Yeah. Um, it's also notable for being, you know, this whole year is about Bowie becoming himself. I say Bowie becoming Bowie, except Bowie's not his real name either. Um, he's being David Jones. He's just being himself. He's not playing a character. This is his first album since at least since '72's Hunky Dory to not feature a character that he's playing mm. throughout the course of the album and into the interviews and into the yeah. tour and all that kind of stuff. It's just him being him, and the same thing happens on Heroes. Nice. Um, one other little footnote on here, and just love this little anecdote. So, you know, in 1977, David Bowie releases an album called Low. Uh, as a, like, humorous retaliation, in 1978, Nick Lowe released a 1978 EP called Bowie. <laughs> without, without the final E. It's Bowie, yeah. B-O-W-I. Yeah. Just like yeah. low is, you know, L-O-W. That's, that's, that's cute. I love it. I that's love really that little cute. anecdote. No, that's good. That's it's good. good. That's, very good Nick, that's very Nick Lowe-ish. Too. Very Nick Lowe, yep. Very, very smart. All right. Next to come out was The Idiot from Iggy Pop. This is a unique situation. Bowie did this three times on Iggy Pop albums where he, they made it together, where it really could have been, like, credited to the two of them together because for the high amount of work that Bowie did on it. He co-wrote it. He, and in The Idiot in particular, that's basically... The, the core of it is all uh, Bowie and Pop. Like, there's nobody else on there. You know, there's other, there's a drummer and stuff. But they they play almost all the instruments together too. Um, it's a great. It's a very influential album later on. Um, the kind of icy synthy sound was really influential in bands like Joy Division and Depeche Mode, The Cure, mm-hmm. people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, the idiot Joy Division when uh, Ian, oh, what's the lead singer of Joy Division who died? Ian McKay. Ian McKay. Okay, does that sound right? Yes. I'm going to say Ian Hunter, but that's not the hoople. Um, famously, when he hanged himself, the album that was on the turntable was The Idiot. Oh. All right, next up, released-wise, was The Idiot, the Iggy Pop album. Um, we have, there's three Iggy Pop albums, The Idiot, Lust for Life, and Blah, 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 <laughs> from 1986. Just say that, the name of the album, Chaz. Blah, 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 everybody. That um, have a special place in Bowie's discography because he was so incredibly involved in them. You know, he co-wrote them, he co-produced them, he plays on them, he does backing vocals. Like, the albums really could have been credited to the two of them just with E-pop having main vocals and, you know, for the, his level of involvement in these. And they're really, those just three the three albums he ever did that like. So we do a special point system on that one. Anyway, The Idiot is a really excellent album. Um, it's brilliant. It's very influential on, on some later bands. Um, the synth sound, the kind of icy dark the repetitive nature of it was very influential on bands like joy division uh depeche mode the cure people like that um notably ian mckay the main lead singer of joy division who mm-hmm. hanged himself when he hanged himself the uh, album on the turntable was the idiot oh uh, i know it's a deep dark uh yeah episode We're really plumbing the depths this episode plumbing the depths of the psyche here well Yikes. but you know, we got we got bowie's example to bring us all out of it you know because he, he right. came back Ring chick. He yeah, he did. he did. Unfortunately, some people didn't. Iggy Pop did too, for that matter. The That's two of them good. together. That's good. Dylan would um, eventually, just not. not he would not eventually, yet. just not in '77. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a very influential album, very important album. Um, so we're giving that uh, the point system for that is an, a total of up to two points. I'm giving it a 1.5. Wow, nice. All right, next up is Iggy Pop tour. Bowie just played piano. No, I'm giving zero points for that. It's notable that he did it, and it's cool that he did it, but yeah. that's not worthy. Right. Um, next up, release-wise, is Lust for Life. Lust for Life, much more rock-based, much more of an E. Pavel, but Bowie is still heavily involved in it, still co-produces it. He still co-writes almost all the songs. He still performs in some way on all of the songs. Um, it's a great album also, and really very different than The Idiot, but just as good or most people consider a little bit better. I think I like the idiots slightly more, but okay. they're they're both really good albums. So I'm giving them an also a one point five. Okay. Next up for albums is Heroes. 
Heroes is uh, like the uh, Low being his best album, in my opinion. Heroes is still widely considered to be one of his very best albums. Uh, more Eno involvement on this one than on Low, which, I don't know, it works. It just works. Yeah. Uh, both Low and Heroes have a similar structure, uh, a lot more songs and a lot more rock-based, and, and Heroes more so than Low. More rock-based, more traditional songs in the first half. Still instrumentals, primarily ambient-ish instrumentals on the second half. Um, Here is interesting because it's simultaneously more aggressive and more positive than Low. It's less depressed. Mm. It's definitely coming out of things a little bit more. It's got a lot more, I don't know, action. I mean, Robert Fripp being added to things. That spices things up in sure. a different way. It has a lot more going on. The mercenary himself. I know. It's another fantastic album, one of my very favorites. I'm giving Heroes a four out of five. Ooh, damn. I know. <laughs> I know. And Yikes. finally, we're going to roll things out with singles. Oh, no. Singles as well. Okay. Let's start things off with a little bit of uh, a song by the name of, I don't know, Sound and Vision. Oh, my gosh. That came out uh, from, yeah, okay. That's the first single off of Low. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, one of Bowie's most famous songs. He used the term Sound and Vision for a lot of stuff later on for a tour in 1990, and it's become kind of synonymous with him. Um, it's an interesting song. It's originally intended to be a an instrumental, um, and then Bowie well, we decided not to and added lyrics. The lyrics started, don't start until about halfway through the song, about a minute and a half. Singing. In the song. He just started singing. Hey. A minute and a half in there and goes for it. Um, it's an excellent song. I'm giving it. That's clearly a one pointer. Yeah. Uh, next up is a little lesser known single. Is "Be My Wife," oh, yeah. which is the second oh. single off of "Low." This one's not known really well at all. Okay. Um, and understandably, it's uh, it's honestly one of the weakest tracks on Low. It's still good because the album is so good, but it's not as notable and not as incredible as, you know, Sound Vision and a lot of the other songs in there. Uh, Bowie made a music video for Be My Wife. Oh. It was his first music video since 1973. Ooh. Uh, it's just him with a white background wearing kind of a weird ascot thing, and <laughs> I don't know what he's going for entirely. He, he's got some makeup on. He looks a lot like Buster Keaton, which okay. I'm thinking is what he was going for. He liked Buster Keaton a lot, and that comes up every once in a while. Um, so the, the famous silent film actor, Buster Keaton. So I think that's what he's going for. Anyway, it's a good song, but not incredible. I'm giving that one a 0.5. All right. And finally, his last, his last uh, single of 77 is a little song by the name of, oh, I don't know, Jake. Heroes? <laughs> I've never, never heard of it. I've never heard of heroes, but you keep saying that word. I, yeah, well, I'm wondering if we can be heroes. That's We can be heroes if, just for one day. If only for one day, you know? <laughs> just for one day. <laughs> uh, I'm giving this one a BVD award as Bowie's most biggest anthem. Yeah. Most anth- anthemic, anthemic by, song. By anthemic. far. By far. It's huge. It's almost everyone's uh, biggest anthem. Yeah. And it didn't start out that big. It just got bigger as time went on, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah, sometimes It became a humongous song. Um, this one also got a video. It's Bowie in the in the dark. Oh, the yeah. Dark. There's some smoky lights going on. <laughs> Bowie in the dark. He's got his he's got his bomber on. <laughs> but he's wearing a tank top underneath instead of a uh, instead of a button down. Oh, classy, time. classy. Yeah, I know. There's like light from going from me up behind him. You know, it's yeah. good. There's, it's smoky in there. It's smoky. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. As most as most dark rooms are. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I found this clip because um, he at the same time recorded these like really short TV spots. Where he had like these mini videos of just short clips from a couple other songs on Heroes. I found this like twenty minute clip online of him doing multiple takes of all this stuff, and it was kind of interesting. It's kind of fun to see him do the same hero thing over and over again. Mm. Anyway, I haven't talked this over with Jake, but I don't care because he's gonna agree with me. We oh, every man. once in a great while give a song two points because yeah. it's such a big song. Heroes is one of those oh, songs. Yeah. With a bullet. I'm giving it the double points. With a bullet. So, Jake, that Jeez, brings man. us up to a tally of, you know, the only year that can possibly rival us will be Dylan in our next episode. I know, and I don't even know yet. But so. this is by far the biggest uh, point-wise that we've ever had. It's 15.5. 15 and a half points. Holy. <laughs> Gigantic, bruising year. Wow. Which also makes it, um, gives it a BVD award for the biggest point spread between the two of them. So 15.5 versus zero. So the spread is 15.5 points. I just want to go back here and see if he actually did anything. No, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Not a thing. Not a thing. So uh, this is bad 
a wonderful experience for me and a not wonderful experience for Jake. But Jake, you know what? That's fine. I, I really, we I really, got, I took we got it a easy. little present for you. Me and the fellas all came together <laughs> and uh, we got you a little something. And that something is that our next episode <laughs> is going to be Dylan's best year. Oh, yay! And we, yeah. Can't, yeah. We, we can't legally yeah. say what it is. So, uh, we're not going to say what it is. No. But but I think again. But I think you can figure it out. I probably. think you can guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, when when was Dylan the when was Dylan the biggest? My favorite year is 1966, but it's not that because we already covered that. Not the series. most point. Not the most points no. here. No, <clears throat> no. Those those double album years sure help. Like old 77. Well, though. especially if they're both Stone Cold classics. Uh huh. Uh huh. When they're not like. You know, one of them is good and the other is garbage or something. Or or you're oh, in the man. Traveling Wilburys, but you also release <laughs> <laughs> release a crappy album, you know, which is... Or hard. Black Tie, White Nose, and Buddha was Suburbia, and both of you are like, <laughs> okay, but we in 93. Sure, yeah. why not? All right, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed the Charlie uh, slash Bowie show. Oh, slash Iggy uh-huh. Pop. He, he made it in uh-huh. there, too. Fe- featuring Jacob Beck. <laughs> featuring on a guest verse. Uh, a guest verse from Jacob Beck. Jake Beck. <laughs> I just took a look at the old machine here. I, I talked for about 17 minutes, and you talked the rest, and we're at about an hour four. So, yeah. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, actually. No, I could have been. Four. I that's guess not, it could have been worse. That's not too shabby. It could have been not worse. Not too shabby. Yeah, well, get a drink of water. Well, get ready for next episode when everything is reversed. That's right. It's bizarro world. Yeah, exactly. It's turned upside down. The Except Bowie isn't in the worst part of his life and horrible. He was just young and inconsequential. Inexperienced. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, with that, I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Until and I'm Charlie, time. and I love Bowie. I'm Jake, and I adore Dylan. Uh, j'aime Bowie. J'aime le... J'adore Bowie. J'adore Bowie. <laughs>